to Freshly Forever, a podcast that gives you fascinating insights week after week. Here's your host, Vai Kumar. I had the pleasure of having here with me, Kate O'Donnell. She is an expert in Ayurveda and yoga, and specifically Ashtanga yoga. She is a nationally certified Ayurvedic practitioner and the author of multiple Ayurvedic cookbooks, including The Everyday Ayurveda Guide to Self-Care and The Everyday Ayurveda Cookbook, A Seasonal Guide to Eating and Living Well. She has also authored Everyday Ayurveda Cooking for a Calm, Clear Mind. She studied in India for 20 years and continues to travel there annually for study. She is a contributor to many publications, including Yoga Journal, Women's Health Magazine, and NPR. She teaches trainings, cooking classes, seasonal cleanses, retreats, and Kripalu programs. She is based in Portland, Maine, and teaches internationally as well. It's just my absolute honor to have this opportunity to talk to her today on the show. Welcome, Kate, to Podcast Freshly Forever. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. If we can start with um, understanding the anatomy from an Ayurvedic perspective, uh, since you're an expert in Ayurveda, if you can help us understand that and the different body types that uh, Ayurveda considers as far as metabolic tendencies, that'll be Mm. great. Oh, that's a big, big starter question. <laughs> we, <laughs> so I, I love that you asked this question because um, I, one of the problems I think with integrating yoga and Ayurveda is that a, a lot of yogis um, are learning in, in this country, certainly in, in most Western countries, they're learning Western anatomy alongside yoga. So they're learning about, mm-hmm. you know, the musculature of the body and the bones and how these things interact, which is very helpful. It's definitely not saying that's, you know, bad, but yoga was actually designed with the, the same anatomy and physiology understanding that we have from Ayurveda. And so when, for me, I was doing yoga for all these years and studying Ayurveda and so many things about yoga made more sense to me as I studied the anatomy of the body, according to Ayurveda. Mm-hmm. And that, so that anatomy is, is based on the five elements, kind of like Chinese medicine also has an elemental uh, breakdown of the body. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that everything manifests in the universe. And this all comes from the Samkhya philosophy, one of the Shad Darshan. So it's one of the six different philosophical views from India. And so the Sankhya underlies both yoga and Ayurveda's understanding of, of the universe, the mm-hmm. human body, the human system, and its place within the universe, which is kind of what yoga is about, right? And Ayurveda mm-hmm. too, about um, uniting our sense of ourselves with the the true nature of reality, which is, mm-hmm. it's not just like my body, you know, it's not just Kate, it's this cosmological uh, viewpoint. So that the basis of all matter, of all tangible matter, is the five elements, which are space, air, fire, water, 
and earth. So everything that's manifest in the cosmos, including human bodies, are composed mm-hmm. of these building blocks. And so each of these elements has uh, specific qualities or attributes. So like water makes things moist, earth makes things heavy, fire mm-hmm. makes things hot, air makes things mobile, and space makes things light and mm-hmm. expansive, right? So from the very beginning, if we start to understand our bodies in this way, right? It's like, how dense is my body? How dry is my body? How warm is my body? And we can also use yoga practices in certain ways to increase our density, to Mm -hmm. increase our lightness, to increase our heat or to cool the heat down. And we can change the amount of mobility that's going on, you know, based on how we use yoga. And these, so these five elements are then they, when they make up a human body, they compound into pairs. So there's mm-hmm. three sets of two. And it's just the laws of physics. It's not like a kind of made up thing. It's like, this is what happens when these elements form a human system. Mm-hmm. So the, the earth and the water compound together into a pairing that's responsible for all of the structure and the mm-hmm. lubrication in the body. Which makes sense, right? If we think about the nature of, of earth and of water. So it's mm-hmm. doing all the lubrication of our joints, the viscosity of our blood. You know, the earth element is, is giving us tissues like organs and bones and skin, muscles, fat. Right? So all of that stuff is governed or is like within the jurisdiction of this compound that we call kappa. And mm-hmm. Kappa is the energy of cohesion. So it like mm-hmm. holds things together. Right. So if we think about kind of catabolic and anabolic energy, this is the anabolic quality in the body that mm-hmm. comes from this Kappa dosha. And the way that I like to describe this is, you know, if we go down to the beach to build a sand castle and we've got dry sand, it won't like stick together. You can't actually Mm -hmm. build a structure, right? So we get Mm -hmm. lubrication, we bring in the water element, and then we've got this kind of like mud that will stick together and hold things together. Mm -hmm. And so that's what kappa does. Like it lubricates things, builds tissue, holds things together, and really has this um, mucousy kind of presence in the body, Mm -hmm. right? So Mm -hmm. it's protecting our lungs and our sinuses and all that. And then we also have this compound of fire and water, which Mm -hmm. fire in a body would just burn everything. Mm -hmm. And so the water is naturally compounding there to create sort of a container to temper, Mm -hmm. like temper the fire so that it can be present in our body without just burning everything. So it's like slowing Mm -hmm. down, you know, due to the water. And so that starts to look like fire water, which is in its physical aspect, it's acid. So mm-hmm. if we think about like our stomach acids, the enzymatic activity in the small intestine, we think about all the metabolic fires that break down our food and like make nutrition and send it off where it needs to go. And also the fire in the mind, like the, the, mm-hmm. the activity of the neurons, like as we say, firing, you know, neurons firing in the, in the brain. 
So we're, mm-hmm. we're digesting, you know, information and experiences. And so this is all in the jurisdiction of uh, what we call Pitta. And Pitta is this combination of fire and water. It's very where the kappa is soft and heavy and moist. This Pitta is acidic. So it's hot. It's sharp. It's mm-hmm. penetrating. Right. And so it brings this totally different grouping of qualities to a body. And also does its own functions, like the Mm -hmm. metabolism, digestion, also mental digestion. Mm -hmm. And the last compound is space and air, which come together naturally because if you think about air, like if you look at the sky and you see a cloud up there, it's never just sitting still, Mm -hmm. right? It's always moving. And so the nature of the air element is mobility. It's very light. Mm-hmm. It's very um, mobile. It's also cold. Right? There's no fire there. So it's, there's, and if you go, you, know, you think you go up into space and you're on the moon, like it's freezing cold. The air is mm-hmm. very clear, very light. Like those are the qualities of air. And because it's so mobile, it requires space, the space element. So we have these spaces that naturally occur within the form of our body. Mm-hmm. And then the vata is able to move things through these spaces. So we call this combination vata, which means that which moves. Mm-hmm. And so it's if we think about it, there's a lot of processes happening in our body that require movement, like the digestion, you know? So I'll say we, mm-hmm. we didn't have to go to food school to know that food goes in one end, right, goes through this process where it's moving at a certain pace, you know, over a certain number of hours, and then we eliminate the waste. So that whole process there is governed by this this movement pairing of the space Mm -hmm. and the air. And so the tube from the mouth to the anus, that whole digestive tract is actually a space. It's like a big tube through which all of these activities and functions are happening. So we have okay. these three, these three that together govern all the different processes in our body. Okay, fantastic. I think this is definitely going to want to make everyone learn more about Ayurveda. I think you have definitely set the stage uh, very, very nicely. I know it was a long question, but definitely, you know, your answer is just going to make it very, very inspiring for people to know about this science more. So when we say these three doshas, uh, is it something that we acquire at birth or does it change over time for individuals? And is there any chance that all of us would exhibit all three? Mm, definitely. Yeah. You, you'll get your individual constitution, which is, mm-hmm. is a makeup of these three you can see from our explanation how you have to have all three. You have mm-hmm. to have the stability, you have to have the movement, and you have to have the digestion, the transformation. Mm-hmm. So everybody, everybody contains all three of these doshas, right? Mm-hmm. Based on your DNA, like your your constitution comes from your parents, from your mom and your dad. And so at birth, you do have this given amount of 
density and fire and mobility, mm-hmm. you know. And we can all begin to under, understand ourselves as we learn about the different qualities of these of these three doshas. And they also kind of have these energies or personalities in, in mm-hmm. our body. And you can recognize that in your parents and also in your children. So their children then get their constitution from, you know, you and your partner. And you can start to see how these elements manifest in someone having a denser body someone having a lighter body, someone running hot, someone running cold, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is at, it is fixed at birth, our constitution. Mm -hmm. But due to our diet, the kind of foods we eat, due to the climate we live in, whether it's a dry place or a moist place, and due to our lifestyle, how much sleep we get, how much stress we have, all these things also affect the state of our doshas. So although you do have this fixed constitution, most people are walking around with a little bit of what we call uh, an imbalance, where mm-hmm. the, the body has accumulated a little extra fire from eating spicy food or a little extra density from eating heavy food. And so the, you go through your life with, with this uh, amount of one dosha that maybe isn't correct for you. And mm-hmm. it's that kind of a thing that, that we're looking to address and how we use Ayurvedic medicine is to get the doshas back into their happy place inside your body, which is mm-hmm. different from the person standing next to you, right, who might have a different constitution. So there aren't a lot of, um, like, we can't say almonds are great for everyone because one person might need the, the fat from almonds where another person might be better off with lettuce. So mm-hmm. all of our recommendations are are very much individual because we all have this individual constitution, which is called our prakriti. That's something from birth. And then, like um, you said, it can change over time, but it's all about a matter of bringing it back into sync or into homeostasis. So when you said initially that all three can be or should be there in any individual, then it's just a question of what is more dominant than the other that helps you identify, okay, this person is a predominantly vata or kapha or pitta, correct? And then most of your recommendations or to even keep the body in balance, one has to follow those guidelines based on whatever that body type is. And that's where the anatomy comes in or kind of like the metabolic typing from an Ayurvedic standpoint comes in, correct? That's that's absolutely correct. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And there can also be a mix of doshas that someone is made up of. Absolutely. Yes. Usually, usually people are what I'll call dual doshic so they'll have mm-hmm. they'll have two of these compounds that are at the forefront in their body. Mm-hmm. Um, rarely is someone is just is, there's one, you know, because mm-hmm. bodies have all three, and so usually mm-hmm. we can all recognize the qualities of all of them at different times. But most people are looking to manage um, one and sometimes two of the of the doshas in their constitution. So whatever the okay. season is that corresponds. To that dosha, it's like if it's cold out and you also have a cold body type, it's that time of year that you have to take the most care. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. So what then are gunas? Ayurveda also refers to something called gunas, right? And how different are these from doshas? Gunas, I love that question because gunas are, they're the best. They're the, they, mm-hmm. That's what I base my whole first cookbook is around understanding the gunas of food. And so a guna mm-hmm. is, it's a quality or an attribute. So when something is manifest, you know, like a carrot, the carrot is then this combination of the rain, the sun, the soil, right? And it grew in this certain way. And so we would say that a carrot is um, a little bit hard, you know, where like um, an avocado is soft, mm-hmm. you know, we would say a carrot is a little bit light where uh, meat is heavy. And these mm-hmm. are all natural based on the elemental composition of the, mm-hmm. of the food. So bodies have qualities too. Like some people are heavy, light, hot, cold. And mm-hmm. so the rule of, of, of creating balance in Ayurveda is to introduce opposite qualities to mm-hmm. what is causing a problem. So if I'm mm-hmm. feeling cold or it's the cold time of year, I'll be taking cooked foods, warm foods, drinking tea and warm water. And then in the mm-hmm. summer, when it's hot, if I'm feeling you know overheated, I'll drink cool drinks. I'll eat foods that have cool qualities like cucumbers and fennel right, and mm-hmm. watermelons and that kind of a thing. So we look mm-hmm. for these gunas in our bodies and also in our foods in order to then create balance. So we know what foods are best for us because of the gunas, the qualities that we notice in our body and that we notice in the food. So how does Ayurveda uh, emphasize this self-care and daily routine and seasonal practices to prevent imbalances that you mentioned, both in body and mind. That's about how, like I gave the example of, you know, being a cold body type and living in a cold climate. And so the, Mm -hmm. the Ayurvedic texts, there's a lot of conversation there about how the seasons, how the gunas of the seasons are affecting our bodies human bodies and Mm -hmm. so all of the daily and seasonal regimens are about balancing the effects of the season Mm -hmm. and so just basically things very simply like drinking cool drinks in the summer and warm drinks in the winter is how you know this that's a seasonal regimen Mm -hmm. that we can follow in order to promote balance in the body and the, the daily routines are emphasized because uh, a lot of them actually assist the body in detoxification. Mm-hmm. And so this is what we call the dinacharya, which is the, the daily routine or daily rhythms. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the rhythm that's happening is that while we're sleeping, our bodies are detoxifying. Mm-hmm. cleaning the digestive tract, cleaning the blood, right? All the senses and the mind are resting. And so there's like, it's like when the school is full of children, everything is very busy. They all go home at the end of the day and then the janitors can come in and clean, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. When everything is quiet. And so our body does that. That's a great analogy. Yeah, yeah. Our body is doing that. And so when we wake up in the morning, there are wastes that are ripe for removal at that time. And so that's where we do a cleansing of the tongue the eyes, the nose, the skin. Mm -hmm. We generally, hopefully, will have to use the bathroom. 
you know, upon waking. And so the whole, the, I think the most important aspects of the daily routine are these morning routines mm-hmm. that make sure that the metabolic waste that the body's kind of cleaned out in the night are, are free to go first thing in the morning. Also, even how one exercises, like the role of yoga, it kind of can be tweaked and varied upon one's body type, correct? Right, definitely. Like how vigorous we might want to be versus how soft, Mm -hmm. how much mobility, you know, maybe restorative yoga is very stable. Mm -hmm. So if if the mind, you know, say say we traveled yesterday, Mm We were on a plane together, you know, and so you feel all of this excessive movement energy, which might manifest in the body as like a tremor, you know, or a, a inability to sit still, mm-hmm. or it might manifest in the mind, like like racing thoughts, or you can't fall asleep, or you can't stay asleep. And so we might in that state choose restorative yoga, you know, for the day or two or three after travel. Because of the restorative styles of yoga are very stabilizing, mm-hmm. very slow and steady. And so we bring these this movement quality back into balance. Mm-hmm. Whereas another time, maybe we're, you know, you're sitting on the computer all day, and so you feel kind of slow and stagnant. Mm-hmm. And then you want to do a more vigorous vinyasa style or movement style practice in order to create more mobile energy mm-hmm. in a system that feels too slow. Okay. Does this then apply to any body type, be it uh, vata, pitta, or kapha, uh, in terms of kind of like you tailor make what you do uh, depending on what your lifestyle is? Definitely the lifestyle has a lot to do with it. Yeah. You know, because some people are uh, very active mm-hmm. throughout the day and other people are very sedentary. You know, so I've been working with a lot of school teachers this year, and it's it's difficult for them because they're used to having a, a kind of a mobile mm-hmm. job where the kids are in the school and they're with them and they're moving around, and now they're on a computer. And so they're experiencing these kind of um, stagnations in the body that are unusual for them mm-hmm. because their their vocation has changed from active to sedentary kind of suddenly. So, we, yeah, we look at... We look at one's constitution. We look at your current state, mm-hmm. right? Which, as we talked about, can be different than your at-birth constitution. Maybe things are too mobile or too stagnant. And we look at the time of year. So the, I'm always shifting my practice seasonally as well to address, you know, cold weather. I want to be practicing differently than when it's hot out. And then there is the daily lifestyle. Absolutely. So we take all of those factors into account and it's a very natural thing. You know, I just want listeners to feel free to experiment, you know, and it's not like uh, you have, like you're going to do it wrong, Mm -hmm. wrong yoga. You know, it's like just feeling for the gunas in the body. How do I feel today? Stagnant, stable, you know, heavy, light. And then you address that in the same way that we use food. You bring in opposite qualities through the the way that you choose to practice your yoga on that day. So there is no tailor-made approach and there is no one-size-fits-all, so to speak, right? Right, right. I could say that there are groupings of postures Mm -hmm. that generally work better to balance one dosha more than another. 
mm-hmm. you know, like um, just to give you a quick idea, we'd say for Vata, because this the air and space are very upward and outward moving. We would do more practices that drive the energy into the central channel of the body and into the lower limbs. So we do so more like a grounding effect. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like standing postures, forward bends, you know, with Pitta, it's always overheating. So we're trying to cool things down and actually um, kind of hip opening postures really clear the way for that, that heat to spread down and out of the body. And then with the Kappa, the tendency there, because a lot of the mucousy areas in the body where kapha predominates occur like above your stomach. It's like your, your stomach, your lungs, your sinuses, your head. And so there we do more upward, upward lifting, like arms up, mm-hmm. back bending, you know, handstand or inversions. So the, there are groupings of postures, I think, that can be used therapeutically in general to balance doshas. Oh, that's just uh, phenomenal as to how it naturally, you know, it just synchronizes and it makes so much of a connection and meaning. And I'm just fascinated. Uh, I do know a lot about yoga and Ayurveda uh, coming from where this science originated. Uh, But to hear Mm -hmm. it from every expert, you know, it just uh, makes me want to learn more and more. It's truly uh, eye-opening. Uh, so what would you say is the role of food and spices in helping one feel, say, rejuvenated and find a pathway to overcoming any illness? Mm. The, the diet is I, the reason I wrote a cookbook to start was because the diet is it's probably the most important thing for us because all of these doshas, vata, pitta, kappa, they're actually seated in the digestive tract. So most of the activity that's going on in the body, the creation of uh, nutrition, the detoxification, the digestive tract is the avenue through which we build a healthy body and get rid of waste. Mm-hmm. And so the, the food that's going in is, it is literally what becomes the tissues of the body. So the quality of that food is very important. You know, so we look a lot at, um, cooking fresh food as opposed to eating leftovers and processed food. And it it brings you this full prana kind of full power energy in the body. when We eat foods that are kind of of a high vibration Mm -hmm. in being fresh and unprocessed and home cooked. And we, when we eat well, the digestive tract then can do its job better. So we get healthier tissues and um, in general, a, the detoxification process is happening naturally without any impediments because we're not hopefully putting in more food than the body can digest Mm -hmm. or food with the wrong qualities, like too much heavy food or too much light food. You see that in the yoga world sometimes that people actually favor the light food and don't eat enough heavier food. Mm -hmm. My yoga teacher was always telling everyone to go home and eat more ghee and eat more chapati, you know, like the, these building foods rather than just living on juices and um, vegetables and things. Mm-hmm. So how then does one uh, realize or uh, come to a consensus as to, okay, what can I eat 
to be sure that I'm feeding myself right. And it also seems like people in the same family can be different, right? So how do we balance it and say we cook dinner? How is it that one can determine what is right for most folks in the family? The principles that apply to everyone, regardless of personal constitution, is that it's the seasonal effect. And there's much more conversation in the Ayurveda texts Mm -hmm. about seasonal eating Mm -hmm. than there is about eating for one's dosha. Yeah. So a family can enjoy more locally sourced foods and more seasonal foods. And that's like, that's the best thing to do. Everybody can benefit from that. So we eat what is coming from the earth at that time. And the closer that the the food is to your home, the less travel it's had. Mm -hmm. So the more energy, you know, the more prana is there. And I I think it's um, a bit of a trick sometimes for us to find out what is growing locally, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's going to be different depending on where we live. You know, for instance, I eat all these mung beans. I love dog, Mm -hmm. you know, but we don't grow mung beans here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> in Maine, you know, so I'm trying to like actually eat more oats. So I've started making oat milk instead of almond milk mm-hmm. because the oats grow here, mm-hmm. you know, and getting a, a CSA box is, is like a community supported agriculture mm-hmm. where you can, if there's any farm nearby, you can buy a share in that farm and get seasonal produce. Mm-hmm. That's a great way to feed a family. You get this kind of varied box, of different things in it. They're all locally grown. Kind of serve that stuff to your family. That's wonderful advice, Kate. And uh, what then would you say to someone? um, You talk a lot about eating fresh food. So what about refrigerating foods or eating frozen foods? Or what about reheating in the microwave? What would you say to someone regarding that? Yes, I get that question a lot. Um, A lot of people are a little worried that they can't keep up. Right, if they're supposed to be making every meal fresh. Mm -hmm. And while that is the ideal for yoga as well as Ayurveda diet, you know, it's freshly cooked food. So the generally it's when food is kept overnight that it begins to lose its prana a little Mm -hmm. bit. Um, And so the body's working to digest the food, but we're not getting the full power from the food because it's become a bit old. So my, my rule that I recommend the most is kind of a, a middle path where mm-hmm. I say, like, let's, can we only eat the leftover food like every other day? So you make some meal and then maybe you eat some again the next day, mm-hmm. you know, for lunch. But after mm-hmm. that, it's finished. And that's, and that's so that when people are used to cooking, as I know a lot of people will cook, you know, on a Sunday and then mm-hmm. eat that food throughout the week. Mm-hmm. So if we're starting there, then I say, can let's cook again on Tuesday or Wednesday. Mm-hmm. You know, let's just add one more cooking day in there. And then we cut the leftover food in half, you know, the number of days that we're having that. So I think a good goal for, for most householders is to get to a place where you're only eating the food on the day after again. Mm-hmm. And what I notice is that most people, when they start to think about the eating less leftover food, they start to cook a little more often, you know, just a little. It doesn't have to be perfect. They start to gravitate towards fresh food naturally, you know, and the leftovers start to be less satisfying. And, and then 
we can tell the difference. Mm-hmm. And so instead of the cooking feeling like a, a problem, it starts to be this gift, mm-hmm. you know, because you realize how much you love your food and how great exactly. it makes you feel. Yeah. And I know you're a big fan of one part meals, right? So something like an Instapot and all that can come in handy and even for reheating purposes, maybe. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I I love the one pot meal for two reasons. One is because I'm lazy. Mm -hmm. I I like homemade food. I like my own food, but I also, I don't want to spend more than a half an hour preparing Mm -hmm. a meal. I just, that's how, that's how much time I have. Well, uh, I think I I would agree with you. You know, I think rather than calling you lazy, judging from your books and what I've seen there, I think you make it simple uh, for everybody. So it's simple, yet it's fresh. And I'm also a huge proponent of going out there, you know, like getting some prep work done, 15, 20 minutes and get things in the Instapart. And, you know, then you don't have to micromanage it. You just can come and your food is ready while you're working right yeah exactly exactly which i have found the instant pot to be great for Mm -hmm. that i used always the um, traditional pressure cooker on the stove top Mm -hmm. for a long time and then when this instant pot came out i thought i'm not buying one more thing you know but then i did and i'm so happy because you don't have to supervise it you can just as you say you just put the food in like, uh, like I eat the doll in the kitchen mm-hmm. most days mm-hmm. and I just rinse the lung beans, the rice, put that in. I add some spices, I add some vegetable and then I close it up and I tell it to cook at whatever time, you know, and then I come back after working a few hours and the food is, is there. And these one pot meals, it's like the foods work out their differences in the pot. And it becomes a very harmonious and easy to digest you mm-hmm. know, when you cook the things together rather than having so many different things at one at one. Okay. Time. And also it's already pressure cooked, like you you said you're a big fan of the pressure cooking method and so it is well cooked and well done. Back in a moment with our guest on Fresh Leaf Forever. recipes be adapted to any body type then so how can we tweak it or just eating seasonal and uh, nourishing the body right just like you talk about in your book and obviously you can throw a little bit more uh, light on it here as far as uh, the recipes and the books that you have just so listeners can hear it firsthand and also what oils can one one use in cooking so how is it that one can make a nourishing meal and you talked about seasonal eating which can possibly cover for most of the family but again is there any need to tweak recipes so it just fits almost like everybody at home right right i think a great way to to tweak the recipes is, is to use condiments. Mm-hmm. Like for instance, you make a simple, you know, soup or kitchery, which is a combination of the mung bean and the rice cooked together. And you can add, um, so the way that I organized my, the everyday Ayurveda cookbook is there's a section at the front of the book that's everyday recipes. Mm-hmm. So those tend to be good for all body types. Mm-hmm. And so the spices are neither too heating nor too cooling. 
right? And the we can tweak the amount of oil, certainly. So we can add sort of a base amount of oil to things, which usually I recommend ghee is, is Ayurveda loves ghee for, mm-hmm. for most body types. Mm-hmm. And then also on the table, we can have some oil. The toasted mm-hmm. sesame oil is very tasty. It's, it's a very heavy, rich oil. It's good for the vata types. We can have a little coconut oil. It's better cooling, better for the pitta types. Even olive oil is a little on the pungent warm side. Mm-hmm. So that one is is better for the kapha type, the vata type. And those can be added, you know, to the food after cooking. It can be mm-hmm. like on the table. And even some changing the amount of salt. Mm-hmm. It, someone can be... Uh, most of my recipes, you'll find that I call for little salt mm-hmm. because then family members can add more. Mm-hmm. Right? And salt actually holds moisture in the body. So it's your drier people who mm-hmm. will want the more salt and the more oil. And then the spices, something as simple as black pepper mm-hmm. is a very medicinal spice. Great mm-hmm. for your cup of type. It kind of mm-hmm. breaks up heavy qualities and mucus. And that can be on the table, you know, so... Some can add the pepper, others can have it without. So we can change in that way by creating sort of an everyday or neutral meal. And then mm-hmm. the oils are changing the salt, the spices, and maybe even some chutney or pickle mm-hmm. can bring in all these other qualities also. Okay. Again, uh, Ayurveda is all about balancing the uh, different tastes and, again, the integration of the mind body, the the gunas and the doshas and incorporating all of this to strike a balance. Okay, perfect. What about seasonal allergy as an imbalance? How how does Ayurveda handle it? I'm sure we are approaching the spring season and so many people would like to know about it. Yeah, yes. The seasonal allergies are, it is natural for bodies to feel a little out of balance when the seasons are changing. You know, because it's, we go from, the body has been used to working with cold weather, say, you know, in the Northern hemisphere, we're moving into this, the warmer weather, wet, also wet, Mm -hmm. right. It's been very dry. You know, you've got the heater on in your house, the air is very Mm -hmm. dry and then it begins to rain, you know, and it's like, it's getting more, a little warmer, it's getting moister. Mm -hmm. And it's that moisture that makes, it makes the body very sticky. Mm -hmm. And then we have the pollen comes in, which is also, has it's the sticky mm-hmm. like fertile quality of the plants right so if my body is sticky and then these these molecules mm-hmm. are floating in my air is also sticky so the way that we look at spring allergies is to kind of try to um, remove the sticky quality from the body right and so we we would avoid kind of dairy is one thing that is mm-hmm. a little bit sticky and slimy mm-hmm. um, we might have less wheat um, and in, introduce more spices, actually more warming spices, because warming spices like they melt sticky and gooey stuff and help the body detoxify that. And even some of our our very simple and basic morning routines, like scraping the tongue, mm-hmm. doing a neti pot in the nose, those kind of things. I've seen a lot of people really correct seasonal allergies with very just these very simple things. Okay. And what about sattvic food? And again, if you can define what sattvic is for the benefit of listeners, um, that'll be great. And 
we talked about dal, we talked about kichri. So for people to understand what is the importance of eating sattvic and why we avoid meat or rather why Ayurveda does not recommend all of that, I think, you know, that will also give some good insights mm. to the listeners. Sattva is, it's a, that's a word we use to describe the state of mind, the mental state. So mm-hmm. in Ayurveda and in yoga, we have this language that we use to discuss the mind and, and the mental state, which sattva is the natural state of the mind, which is clear. Mm-hmm. And we get clouded, you know, as, as we go through life and things can get dense and heavy and foggy or things can get all kind of amped up, right? And so you could end up with like a brain fog kind of feeling mm-hmm. or feeling overstimulated and, and stressed out. And so sattva is that's the state of mind where neither of those things are present. We're just in our natural kind of clear and calm state. And that's the topic of my second book, which is Cooking for a Calm, Clear Mind. Because mm-hmm. I, in my practice, I really started to realize after a few years that the mental state is, is quite problematic for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. I think because we're so busy and, you know, the world is a little more complicated. So the sattvic diet is, is about eating foods that enhance or encourage um, a clear and a calm state of mind where there are some foods that are excessively heavy and, and dense and some foods that are excessively stimulating. And so the, the meat comes in as um, not a part of the subic diet because meat is a little heavy, like it's a strong, a very strong food. Sometimes we might have it a little bit in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. And that, the Ayurveda is not vegetarian. There's whole conversations about the different meats and the mm-hmm. qualities that they bring to the body. So it's used as medicine, not just as daily fare, mm-hmm. which I think is different than how a lot of us look at, at the meats. But in general, this, in the sattvic diet, it's um, whole foods. It's a lot of this locally grown, kind of freshly prepared, the full, full prana, high vibration food, uh, because foods that are processed will kind of slow the mind down. And then foods that are hyper stimulating, like white sugar, you know, like coffee, like a, a lot of chocolate and chili peppers, these kind of things, they actually kind of like overheat the body and work up the nervous system. And so the sattvic diet is very mellow. Mm-hmm. Like we still use the spices, you know, cinnamon, cardamom, coriander, fennel, all of these very tasty, but not too stimulating, you know, and then whole foods, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, that's the basis of the diet. And so if we're going to bring in um, animal proteins, it's, it's just medicinal. And then at times we might bring in seasonally, we might bring in a little more chili, you know, in the winter or you know, a little more cool things in the summer, little tweaks like that. But the basis of a subject diet is the, these um, mellow, easy to digest foods. Okay. Does onion and garlic fall under um, stimulating or overheating foods? Yes, yeah, it does, for sure. And that's a, one of the things I wanted to do with my cookbooks was help people learn how to make tasty food without using onion and garlic mm-hmm. um, because it does really, really stimulate the, the body. And so especially when we're 
following a path of yoga, then the sattvic diet becomes very um, important because it will support the work that we do in the yoga to eat the sattvic diet, where the onion and the garlic are very, they're very earthbound, which can be a good thing. Sometimes we need that, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think again, to use these foods medicinally, but what I notice is that many people are cooking with them every day mm-hmm. and they're heating, they're stimulating, they cause, um, uh, they, they're very tasty. They also make the body smelly. <laughs> so like your sense organs, your sense of taste and your sense of smell, these things are being sort of like barraged all the time mm-hmm. by the intensity of onion and garlic. And then these very mellow and simple foods might taste bland to you. But what I notice is, yeah, when people start eating more sattvic, they their taste buds will adjust, you know, and they'll get used to this more mellow stuff and and feel so much calmer, and, okay. and the mental state is a little easier to um, to work with. Okay, are there any seasonal tonics, so to speak, say like your golden milk or the turmeric milk that is so popular these days, and any other such thing? Uh, is it like season bound and? Uh, can people use food um, to heal both the body and mind? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we can absolutely use the food for body and mind. One thing that I'm, I'm in really into lately in the last year or two are herbal waters and mm-hmm. spiced waters and as tonics. I love that. So we have different vehicles, you know, for our medicines. Milk is one. There's milk-based tonics. And then there's water-based tonics aloe-based tonics, right? So in the summer, we might take like an aloe and pomegranate as a tonic mm-hmm. to kind of cool cool the system. In the winter, the turmeric milk is perfect. In the mm-hmm. fall and the winter, it keeps, it increases the circulation. It increases the digestive fire and also provides uh, moisture and nourishment. Mm-hmm. We, have, we have that. It becomes a little less uh, appropriate once we get into that damp weather. In the spring, in the spring, I'll recommend um, an, an herbal water, mm-hmm. which we could do something like Tulsi. Mm-hmm. Tulsi is very good. So you can drink hot as a tea or you can drink it just at room temperature as a, a tonic that's going through, you know, it's going through the body. It's moving the lymph, right? It's increasing the body's ability to detoxify specifically for that excess moisture and stickiness that we get in the spring. Okay, wonderful. Uh, what about uh, grains and uh, therapeutic effects? Are there like, we talked a lot about heating, cooling and all of that. Say, is barley suitable for one and is rice and oats, you know, like? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The grains are, they're a grouping of foods, like the mm-hmm. legumes are their own grouping. But even within that grouping, they have, there's different gunas or different qualities. So the um, I love that you mentioned barley because it's a wonderful one in the springtime. It has a bit of a diuretic quality, so it, it will reduce excess water and um, and really mitigate that sticky factor that mm-hmm. we were talking about. So when people have congestion and allergies, I'll often recommend they make a porridge or a kitchery out of barley mm-hmm. because it will reduce that mucus. So it's what we would say is it's a drier grain, the barley is drier, so it will kind of suck some of that moisture out of the body. Mm-hmm. Where then there are grains that increase moisture. Wheat is the number one there because mm-hmm. wheat gluten is very sticky and very moist. 
So for a dry body type, I might say, like my yoga teacher used to tell us to eat more chapatis, which are made with the whole wheat flour. Mm-hmm. And so eating like high quality, not not like poor quality wheat, because that can be really problematic. A lot of the conventional breads mm-hmm. and pastries. But when we eat the wheat itself, like a whole nice traditionally made whole grain wheat flour, you make a sourdough bread from that, you make a porridge, these kind of things are um, very nourishing and provide a lot of moisture to the body. Millet is another one that's on the dry side. So mm-hmm. over on the dry, we've got the millet, which if anyone who at home wants to try, you should just make a millet porridge and you will say, wow, okay, this is what dry is. <laughs> So the millet and the barley. Quinoa is a nice one. It's kind of in between. It's very light. Mm-hmm. However, you know, where oats, barley are a little heavier. Quinoa is mm-hmm. very light. So when people um, are maybe more sedentary for their work or something, I might say have more quinoa, less rice, less uh, wheat, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So rice tends towards the... Um, it's the heavier side a little, but again, we have different short grain rices are heavier and long grain rices are lighter. And if, if one really pays attention and eats a bowl of short grain rice and a bowl of long grain, you can tell that the short grain sits a little heavier in the stomach. So all of these, all of these grains can be used in different ways. And we can use the flours to make breads and pastas and porridges and we can eat the whole grain and use that in kitchery or as a side dish along with meats and soups and things like that. Okay, fantastic. And we all are sometimes found wanting in certain aspects. And one of those I think definitely is swimming against the tide of nature and getting out of sync with our body and mind, right? Like we sleep and wake up at odd times. We don't necessarily honor circadian rhythms. Uh, Some people tend to eat late because of their work schedule and whatnot. So what is your advice there? And again, how does the integration with yoga, breathing, and meditation, all of that come in? I think you hit on it there by sleeping, the sleep times. I think that our, our waking and sleeping times are big anchor for everything else that happens in the day and when we feel most energetic and when we feel most tired. Mm -hmm. I think getting in sync, definitely moving our sleep time closer to sunset, Mm -hmm. a few hours after sunset maybe, and moving our waking time also closer to sunrise. Mm -hmm. Then those things make such a huge difference. Our bodies respond to the light Mm -hmm. a lot. You know, so we get more energy when the, the sun is up rather than staying up in the night and working or, or engaging. And it's mm-hmm. fine to do these things sometimes, of course, mm-hmm. but it's when that's the, that's the daily rhythm that it can start to affect our health. Mm-hmm. So I do think that, that sleeping and eating at kind of regular and appropriate times is really important. It mm-hmm. makes a big difference. And the, Traditionally, the best time for your yoga and your meditation is as part of the morning dinacharya mm-hmm. because it does set up your, your mind space for the rest of the day. It's, the idea is that we are the most clear in the morning when we get up in that morning. Nothing has happened yet. And so when we purify 
the body and mind with some yoga practices, some breathing and meditation. It's like we get our prana moving in a nice way. The sense organs are alert yet calm. And it's like we take that into our day. Mm -hmm. And then all of our activities throughout that day, we come to them in this place where we're alert but calm and making kind of what I notice is that when we when we do a little purification of the mind before the day, we make better choices Mm -hmm. throughout the day. And so, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be a big two hour practice. You know, Mm -hmm. I think even for someone to get up 10 minutes earlier, you know, and do 10 minutes of uh, quiet breathing or alternate nostril breath, uh, some guided meditation, just the 10 minutes can change one's entire life. Mm-hmm. And organ detoxification, everything happens according to the clock, right? So I guess your advice there to sleep based on sunrise, sunset, you know, like sleep few hours after sunset and then wake up, you know, anytime after or just around sunrise or maybe even earlier, all that can help. And I guess the uh, Agni and uh, Arm or Ama, the sticky substance that you have been talking Mm -hmm. about, the toxic buildup and Agni being the digestive fire, all that also has relevance to the sun, right? To To the clock. Right, right. Yeah, so your Agni is that word that means fire. And our sun is at its zenith, you know, Mm -hmm. at the middle of the day. So that's when the fire element is the strongest Mm -hmm. in our environment. Therefore, it's also the strongest within the body. Mm -hmm. So the digestive fire is strongest at midday, Mm -hmm. which is between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. And that's the best time for eating food. That's when we're we're going to digest our food the best and build the best tissue. And so eat the bulk of the meals at that time is preferable. Right, exactly. And so you'll always hear this this routine in Ayurveda to eat a big lunch and a lighter dinner. And mm-hmm. that, that will support the body's detoxification process in the night and the nutritive process that happens during the day. Mm-hmm. And does... Uh... Eating late and sleeping late also contribute more to the sticky substance, which is the buildup of the toxins or the toxic release. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, the thing is when we eat at night, we'll generally go to bed, you know, within a few hours after eating. And so the, when we go into the bed and sleep, the, de- the body's digestive process becomes very slow. Mm-hmm. The body is, and then there's this confusion in the body. Well, we're supposed to detoxify at night, but now we're full of food. Mm-hmm. So I guess we'll have to just digest this food instead. And then that that detoxification process is being compromised by the the late the eating of food late. So you know, if we can get the food ha- done by like seven p.m., mm-hmm. that's pretty good because again, this this detoxification cycle kicks in around ten p.m. Mm-hmm. and goes until 2 a.m. And that's when the organs are detoxifying. Mm-hmm. So that's where we can stop eating around 7. Then we've got that three hours for the food to kind of pass through the early stages of digestion. And then those those organs are free to detox while we're sleeping. It's a big shift to eat in mm-hmm. the day, less mm-hmm. at night, but it's totally worthwhile. Okay. Ashtanga yoga, what is it? And 
what is the right order to practice? What is the basis of the practice? Because we all hear about Hatha Yoga, Vinyasa, so on and so forth. What is Ashtanga Yoga in a nutshell and what does it focus on? So Ashtanga is tricky because it means eight, eight limbs. Mm-hmm. So Ashtanga Yoga can mean uh, the eight-limbed path of yoga as described by Patanjali in the mm-hmm. Yoga Sutras. There was a, there's a community in, in Mysore, the Joyce family, where they teach Ashtanga Yoga. Mm-hmm. This, is, you know, this is what you hear about now. And that's where I, I stumbled upon, you know, a long time ago in India, this mm-hmm. form of yoga. And it's very vigorous, very strong. The primary focus is on purification mm-hmm. with that practice um, of the organs, of the blood, and also of the nervous system. Mm-hmm. And then later on, the senses and the mind. Mm-hmm. And so it's a systematic practice where you work through a certain series of postures. So first is the, the digestive purification. And for one person, that might be done in a year. So they do mm-hmm. that series for a year. Another person, it might take a decade. Mm-hmm. Right before you get that purification. Mm-hmm. And then you move into a, a secondary series of asanas, which are uh, designed for purification of the nervous system. Mm-hmm. You get more, more backbending happening there. And it causes all sorts of craziness in the beginning as the, as the purification happens. And so it's this, uh, what I've loved about the practice is how specific it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, the sequences are not random. You know, it's not made up. It's, it's this um, very well-organized practice that it goes nicely with the Ayurveda because you can see that the digestive tract is one system mm-hmm. that's under, undergoing change, you know, and then you can see that the nerves and their connection to the mind is another system that's then undergoing change. And so through, through this specific practice, I learned about getting up early. You know, we do yoga close to sunrise. We eat the meals earlier and the practice, because it's so vigorous and strenuous, it, it really requires a lot of discipline. Mm-hmm. It's like one's whole life, the whole daily cycle um, shifts to accommodate the yoga, which is not appropriate for everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so for me, it worked. I started very young. I didn't have a family, you know, so I could get up in the morning and do all this yoga and then mm-hmm. go about my day. And it's, what I find is that it's... Um, it is a wonderful practice for people who want to get moving in the morning. It's, just, it's generally done in the morning time. Okay. What about autoimmune illnesses and other conditions? Uh, is Ashtanga preferred method or can people benefit from other forms of yoga? It definitely depends by on the, on the person. Mm-hmm. So, um, autoimmune disorders are being linked to inflammation big mm-hmm. time which is being linked to stress. So Mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing we're looking at is how to manage stress. Mm -hmm. And so for some people, a very consistent rhythmic morning practice Mm -hmm. is very good. You know, for other people, it might be a source of stress. Mm -hmm. I see this with Ashtanga because it's this intense discipline that people get, they get stressed out about it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's not helpful, you know, Mm -hmm. especially as you ask about autoimmune. So sometimes what I think a lot of people need is actually a slower form. Mm-hmm. People who are so amped up need more of a slower form. And people who are um, very stagnant or, or sedentary in their jobs, they need a more mobile form. Okay. Uh, so then do you tell your students, hey, 
probably you should focus on something light and not, you know, this is perhaps not the way to go at this point for you? Sometimes, you know, what happens usually is that people, when they commit to the morning routine and like work it into their lives, there's such a health benefit just to that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm like, well, let's not mess with that. Mm-hmm. Let's keep you practicing in the morning. Mm-hmm. But maybe we're going to add more breathing. Maybe we're going to slow you down. Maybe we're going to do less, you know, and maybe we'll do a longer Shavasana, that kind of thing, which I notice a lot of students have difficulty doing a long rest, uh-huh. especially those who are stressed, you know, so as I know, 20 minutes, 20 minute resting. And it, for that, for them is a very intense yoga. Mm-hmm. to be still for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. So we can make those kind of changes without losing our, our morning yoga routine. Okay, that's great. What about yoga and women's health, say menstrual cycle or menopausal health? I know there's a lot of talk about seed cycling and the benefits and you know the magnesium and so on and so forth, right? So is there something you are such an expert with regards to combination of food and yoga and the rest of Ayurvedic mind-body healing. What is your take on that, Kate? I think with the women's health, the most, the most helpful thing is for, for women to be aware of where they are in, in a cycle. Like mm-hmm. There's a rhythm to it. Mm-hmm. You know, leading up to ovulation, we have more energy. Lead this, the two weeks after ovulation, our energy is waning. It's becoming less, you know. And so the way that we practice should also shift. We should respect that, you know, and be a little slower and quieter. Mm-hmm. And definitely reduce the exercise uh, the few days before the menstrual cycle and not practice uh, vigorous yogas during the menstrual cycle. That's very important. So I think when I see problems arise is when women do not respect this, the, the natural rhythms, but try to kind of make it be what they want it to be. Mm-hmm. You know, it is natural to become more tired and to, to slow down and to rest around the menstrual cycle. But if we have an expectation of our body that it's, that we're just going to power through, you may be able to do that for a period of life, but you will pay the price later. Mm-hmm. You'll have imbalances in the reproductive um, organs. Okay. What about, uh, say, the time when, you know, like change of life occurs? Like, what about that stage for women? It's a big question. That's a, a whole, I'm super into that topic right now. Um, I, again, I think the body is shifting. The, the energy system is, is shifting at that time for women. Um, and I think that the most helpful thing to do is to accept and welcome in changes, actually, you know, that we become slower uh, or that our, our metabolism changes, you know, we might need to shift the diet. I find that, you know, women don't metabolize the same amount of food anymore. They don't need as much food, mm-hmm. which can be not that fun if you love food, <laughs> but, you know, big changes can happen in, in uh, a much more enjoyable way if we accept that the metabolism has reduced and eat a little less and still enjoy our food, but just smaller quantities. I think it's just little shifts like that that are that are happening. 
and we can work along with it rather than trying to change it into something else. Okay, got it. I think we'll definitely have you back sometime to talk about that aspect in detail. But yeah. what in general is your recommendation then to achieving a balance overall in what we eat, what we do, and uh, if you can talk about your courses, cleansing programs, and the ways people can find you, benefit from connecting with you and all of the good stuff, I think that'll be great. Thank you. Yeah. There's, um, I have definitely wrote these two cookbooks, the Everyday Ayurveda series and the third book on self-care. So people can find those anywhere on Amazon or anywhere you buy blogs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, there's a ton of recipes there to kind of get people cooking. You know, it's very simple stuff. I think that, I do think that the diet is a, a fundamental aspect of of maintaining balance and so I think that taking an interest in food and cooking is is really important mm-hmm. I also have um, I have a library of online cooking classes I have a whole year-long seasonal cooking program so people can find all of that at ayurvedicliving.institute mm-hmm. so that's where all my online courses are and I do have a spring cleanse um, coming up in the end of March, and then we have a fall cleanse in the end of October. So back to your question about seasonal allergies, mm-hmm. people can definitely see improvements in difficulties with seasonal change by, by learning how to do these cleanses. So all that's at ayurvedicliving.institute. Okay, fantastic. Such a great uh, conversation, Kate, and thank you so much for taking the time to be with us here today and give wonderful insights. Look forward to having you back again in the future. All right. Thank you. As always, before I sign off, folks, let me remind you to subscribe and follow the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or Google. And the website is www.freshleafforever.com. That's one word. And make sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at Fresh Leaf Forever and on Twitter at Fresh Leaf Forever One. I enjoy reading your feedback and appreciate the follow. Let's make week after week a Fresh Leaf Forever on the podcast. See you then. <music>